I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, welcoming you to your Friday and to all of my friends and listeners in the United States of America. Happy 4th of July. Hope that you have a wonderful long weekend. I can imagine what with the 4th landing on a Thursday, a lot of you are going to be making it a four day weekend by taking Friday off as well. And we just had Canada Day up here just uh, the other day. Our national holiday is July 1st, so we had a nice long weekend. And I totally checked out for the entire weekend. It was absolutely wonderful. I mean, we had Formula One going on, of course, which we're going to talk a lot about here, obviously, in a couple of minutes. But it was just, it was just really cool. Just a time to really uh, disconnect and just uh, take it easy for a couple of days. It was almost a nice mini holiday. One thing, I, I know I'm late, late to this, but whatever. <laughs> Better late than never, I suppose. I finally got around to watching the HBO series Chernobyl over the weekend. And it's a really, really dark series, but it is just so good. And I know it's only a, a five-part series, so I think it's between five and six hours long. So I don't know how you can really binge on something that's fairly short, but binge I did, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So uh, anybody that uh, hasn't uh, watched it just yet, highly recommended on my uh, part here. So, hey, also a big congratulations to my friend and co-host Kevin Laramie. Kevin and his lovely fiance Samantha tied the knot this past weekend, and um, they're off on their honeymoon and will be moving homes very soon soon. So Kevin's still going to be away for a couple of weeks yet, but still we're going to talk about Formula One without him. And when he gets back, it's going to be my turn to go on holiday soon. Well, sort of. <laughs> my holiday is just going to be the same as the Formula One break. So uh, I'm not really doing anything other than the usual, except maybe not talking Formula One for a week or so. But anyways, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But hey, wow, what a Grand Prix we had on the weekend in Austria. A lot of drama, a lot, a lot of excitement, a lot of fallout as usual. So we're going to talk all about it. But um, before we do, I know it's been a couple of days. I'm, it's not really breaking news anymore, but just why not? Let's just go over the top 10 from the Austrian Grand Prix. <clears throat> Excuse me, because it is going to nicely set up and frame what we're going to talk about over the next 45 minutes to an hour or so. So, of course, the number one winning the Grand Prix in Austria last weekend at the Red Bull Ring was none other than Max Verstappen, the Red Bull driver, coming home in impressive fashion to beat Charles Leclerc with a couple laps to go. Valtteri Bottas from Mercedes finishing up the podium. Sebastian Vettel in Ferrari in fourth place, almost getting onto the, the, 
the podium himself after uh, starting well down in the order because of a problem that he had with uh, with his car that kept him out of Q3. Rather disappointing. Did get a bit of a boost, of course, uh, what with uh, all the engine changes and grid penalties and everything that was going on all over this, uh, the grid this past weekend. But still, Sebastian had an excellent start in Austria and uh, really, really impressed with the way that uh, that he really fought the way back up. Of course, his good start really helped them, but a really gutsy call to come in halfway through the race and switch off of the the hard tires that uh, that everybody was going on just to have a, a nice run on the short tire or sorry the soft tires for the, the last 20 laps or so and it very nearly paid off in a podium and I'm sure no doubt uh, that uh, considering he started from ninth place on the grid Sebastian is happy that he made it all the way up to fourth but could have been a could have been a podium and he came so very very close uh, and then coming in fifth Lewis Hamilton what uh, a, a strange position to see Lewis Hamilton in we didn't expect to see that just the way that the season's been going in general I don't think that anybody expected Mercedes not to win or maybe not to to get another one to uh, finish this back past weekend but um, they had all sorts of problems with the cooling on the car and the compact radiators and everything that they have and their performance was very very compromised and it was uh, really interesting to see how that's and I, I think not only is it just um, just this past weekend but over the past several years or so in this turbo hybrid uh, era it's always been that when Mercedes is hot they're really really hot and when they're not hot they're ice cold and uh, this weekend they were pretty ice cold uh, even though uh, Bottas did manage to get a podium in the end but it uh, it was refreshing to say the least to see other cars and, and drivers up uh, leading the race and uh, and fighting for the lead so uh, hopefully a bit of a taste of things to come because if we could get more results like that uh, throughout excuse me the rest of the season and after the summer break it could be uh, quite enjoyable Anyways, let's uh, just finish off the, uh, the the rest of the top 10. In six was Lando Norris in the McLaren, the, the first of the cars that were uh, lapped by the, um, the, the the leaders. Pierre Gasly, Max Verstappen's teammate, and more about Pierre later, but lapped and coming home in seventh position. Now, when you think that the only other five cars that were on the lead lap were Verstappen himself, obviously, the two Ferraris and the two Mercedes cars, to be in the second Red Bull and be lapped by your teammates, not really a good look for your Pierre Gasly. Although uh, he was in the middle of a, a McLaren sandwich of uh, Lando Norris and then Carlos Sainz in eighth, who uh, had a, quite a good race, although he incurred quite a few uh, grid penalty or grid place penalties uh, because of all the changes uh, that, that he had uh, going on the back end of his car. So to make it all the way up to eighth for Carlos was a very good result. And then to round out the ninth and ten was Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi in the L. Romeo. So an interesting top 10. And again, the, the McLaren Renault re- Renaissance actually seems to be a thing. It's uh, It's been going on and on and uh, for the past uh, several races. And I know maybe I'm starting to go on a little bit like a broken record here, but it is quite uh, good and quite uh, refreshing to see uh, McLaren slowly but surely, and more importantly, more consistently in the top 10, in Q3, and and scoring points. And I think it's a it's a wonderful turnaround, and, and hopefully it is just a, a baby step. Hopefully it's just one step along the way as they claw their way back up to the top of uh, Formula 1, and who knows? Could we maybe see a McLaren uh, on, the, on the podium this year? 
seems like a little bit of a stretch, especially considering that uh, that, that Monaco was already gone. That would uh, have to be the one that uh, that you would think might have been a realistic target for a top three finish for, for McLaren. But who knows, perhaps if we get um, a race that has some drama in it, or perhaps if we get a Grand Prix that has some rain, or perhaps a safety car in it somewhere along the way, it could flip the race order on its head. And, and who knows if uh, McLaren could uh, actually end up with a podium this year. Seems a little bit early days, despite uh, the, the the positive improvement in the ground that they have been making up just to get earn a podium just uh, outright. Um, obviously, I think there's still a ways for them to go, and they probably need some more power of that Renault engine, but they certainly are trending in the right direction, and uh, that is very, very good to see. So, well, let's get right into it now. Let's get into the meat of the show, and let's start right now. Red Bull does not understand why they were so quick in Austria. But does it really matter? <laughs> because Max was the one took home the 25 points and the victory. And it was impressive uh, to watch. And it was... Uh I think completely unexpected. I mean, we, we went into this race again with uh, Charles Leclerc on pole. So you had to think that uh, that it was going to be maybe Ferrari's day. It seemed like there was a good uh, opportunity or a good likeliness that uh, maybe that they would get back uh, to winning ways because uh, the, the, the grid was interesting to start off though the way is we had uh, Charles Leclerc on pole Lewis Hamilton lining up beside him Max Verstappen Valtteri Bottas on row two then Kevin Magnussen in the in the Haas in in uh, P5 of course he dropped down in the race order because he was one of the cars that uh, <laughs> was was penalized for uh, you know switching out power units and all the rest uh, then we had uh, Lando Norris in six again Lando Norris he seems to be for real I mean not only is he very good in the uh, in in qualifying but also in the race and uh, I'm starting to really appreciate what uh, McLaren uh, sees in giving a young guy like this uh, a a chance and uh, moreover I can understand now going back a year or maybe even a a little bit more ago when uh, Toro Rosso were trying to see if they could get Lando Norris to come and race for them and try and work out some sort of loan deal uh, with uh, McLaren. And uh, Zach Brown basically said, no deal, forget it. Uh, It's not going to happen. We're going to keep him because I think what uh, what Red Bull or sorry, Toro Rosso wanted to do was basically replace Brendan Hartley for the remainder of 2018, which was uh, fairly early in the season. I think we'd only been a about a third of the way through the, the the calendar last year, when there this whole story popped up that they were looking to sign a, a Lando on a, on, a, on a temporary basis, but that would have been for the the balance of 2018 and all of 2019. And obviously, uh, Zach Brown and uh, everybody at McLaren, the brass hair, must have had eyes or at least uh, had some thoughts at that point. Even though that their uh, driver lineup for 2019 wasn't confirmed, but obviously uh, they knew what they had and uh, that he's quite the commodity. And so far, as as the car improves and they get back in the groove that uh, that that Lando is certainly proving uh, what what his worth is and what uh, he brings to the table. Anyways, uh, the last couple of cars in the top 10 in qualifying was uh, Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi in 7th and 8th, Pierre Gasly in 9th and Sebastian Vettel in 10th position. And of course, that got switched around a little bit after all the penalties had uh, been sorted out. But it was uh, it was interesting to see, especially to see the Hasses, because actually, um, before all the grid penalties uh, were uh, sorted out, uh, we, we had Roman Grosjean 
who was uh, in uh, in an eleventh uh, position, and actually he ended up just uh, one spot behind his uh, teammate uh, Kevin Magnuson. And that's a, they actually had set in very good times. K Mag's time in qualifying was a one hundred four point zero seven two. Compare that to, to Grosjean's time of a one hundred four point four ninety. And sure, that's uh, quite a, a bit different uh, than uh, Leclerc's uh, uh, pole lap, which was a one hundred three point zero three. So that's uh, you know a cent and a little bit more but if you look at Lando Norris's time there's a 104.099 so K Mag's time of 104.072 not too bad not too shabby and uh, I, I mean there is a big difference <laughs> when you look at the, the like the first uh, three four cars uh, right up uh, till you drop away from the, the the Red Bulls and the Mercedes and the Ferrari cars well except for Vettel who didn't set a time in Q3 uh, Lewis Hamilton was uh, uh, the slowest, if you want to call him that, in uh, in uh, in uh, Q3. Uh, sorry, yeah, in Q3. His time was a 103.262. And of course, um, he was uh, given a, a penalty as well. And just because of the way that they all worked out, his three-place grid penalty actually only turned out to be two. And that was for impeding Kimi Raikkonen. I think it was all the way back in Q1, and it was in that uh, very sharp right-hand corner at turn three when they come up the hill, and then they uh, basically go into, well, it's probably more than a 90-degree turn, but uh, it really set up a a lot of action over the weekend. Max made a lot of passes there during the race, and of course, we've seen action there over the years. Think back to 2016 when there was some drama in the last lap or so uh, between uh, Nico Rosberg and uh, and Lewis Hamilton and having a coming together there, so uh, definitely a spot where there's a lot of action. Anyway, Anyways, uh, Hamilton uh, did get in the way as uh, Kimi was trying to set a hot time in Q1, and it wasn't so much that he blocked him, but certainly if you look uh, at the definition of peating, or sorry, impeding uh, the other driver, he certainly did that. He just did enough to, even though he did try to get out of the way, he did manage to make enough of a nuisance uh, about him, uh, himself to disrupt Kimi's hot lap, and uh, Kimi quite frustrated and uh, flipping Lewis the bird as he went by uh, to, to show his uh, his anger with him and I was actually quite surprised uh, that uh, that Lewis actually got uh, got penalized <laughs> maybe that's a little bit uh, of a conspiracy theory on my own uh, behalf but I wasn't really expecting it but that just doesn't mean just because Lewis is uh, a very successful driver one of the best ever and uh, and a five-time world champion that obviously doesn't mean he's above the law uh, so it was good to see that uh, that it was um uh, that the, uh, the the judgment was applied evenly and fairly and uh, and Lewis Hamilton had to suffer the consequences. And it must have been a bit of a frustrating weekend for him and also for, for Valtteri Bottas, just being that much uh, off of the pace. And, and Austria, the Red Bull ring there, has become a bit of a... A bit of an unlucky place for them over the past couple of years. And, uh, well, at least they got both cars into the top five this year. Last year was a complete disaster with both of them retiring, Bottas leading the race nonetheless. And that was the first time that uh, that Mercedes had a double DNF in a Grand Prix since, I think it was, was it 1955 or something? Just an extraordinary amount of time. 
And uh, this year, obviously better, but in terms of finishing the race, but not better in the fact that they weren't able to compete with uh, with all the uh, uh, the other cars in front of them, being the the Ferraris and the uh, and the, and the and the Red Bull as well. Well, at least the Red Bull of Max uh, Verstappen, and just the way that uh, Sebastian Vettel really chewed up the, uh, the the gap between himself and Valtteri Bottas right in the last couple of laps of the of, of the race. I think if uh, you're Sebastian Vettel, you're just thinking that you're a little bit uh, unlucky, or you were just um, sat behind Lewis Hamilton for a lap or two too long before you're able to get by him because certainly he was right on uh, Bottas's gearbox by the time they fit across the start finish line at uh, at the at the checkered flag and certainly he would have had him if not going into turn one on the on the following lap but certainly he would have got him into uh, at turn three had the, the the race continued to go on for another couple of laps so close but no cigar for Sebastian Vettel in three but anyways going back to 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 Red Bull and the fact that they uh, just did, did not understand why their car was uh, so fast and it, uh, it it was amazing especially in the second half of the um, the, the race that the way that uh, Verstappen was uh, really carving his way through the field was was really cool to watch and it was uh, it was really quite something to see him just really powered by all these cars that you, uh, that you wouldn't expect to see. I mean, he, he got Hamilton, he got Bottas, and and eventually he got uh, Leclerc, and it was it was fun to watch, honestly. And I, I remember remarking uh, while we were watching the race that if he managed to pass uh, or get past uh, Valtteri Bottas, that there was enough time left in the race that he had a legitimate shot to make a run at Charles Leclerc and and still have some time left over to 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 push him and try and make a uh, a, a maneuver to win the race and that's exactly what happened and I'm old enough to remember watching uh, races when Nigel Mansell was in his prime for Williams way back in the uh, in the late 1980s and w- when it was peak Nigel Mansell and uh, and that drive of Max Verstappen really reminded me of uh, Nigel Mansell just really plowing his way through the field uh, just hell bent for leather and and an aggressive move to um, to to take the lead right at the end and that is going to be the big Big talking point, and uh, we'll get to that in uh, just a moment. Uh, there is plenty of other things to talk about, but we're going to take our quick uh, break here for our first uh, break of the show. So please don't go away. We'll be back again in just one moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1 Pod here on the Overtime Media Network. And we are talking Austrian Grand Prix. And uh, before we get into the controversy of Max's 
aggressive lunge pass, whatever you want to call it, on Charles Leclerc to win the race. Uh, We're going to just talk first about how that win may have been crucial for the long-term prospects of keeping Honda in Formula One, because they have been back now since uh, 2015 when they came back uh, with McLaren, and they were miles behind everyone else, even though the turbo hybrid engines had only been in their second season uh, in 2015. They got into the program, they got on board so much later than everyone else. When everybody came in with their engines in 2014, be it Mercedes, Ferrari, or Renault, they had already been developing and uh, and working on these hybrid uh, V6 uh, cars, or sorry, engines for a number of years uh, before Honda did. And they were playing catch up. And unfortunately, McLaren were a bit of a, a guinea pig, you know, coupled that with the problems that they had with the team at the time and the fact that the cars that they had weren't as good, even though they were trying to convince everybody else that they were it it was it was a really really rough start and honestly uh a year or so so ago when it uh, it was it come to that that breaking point that it was just not going to happen then that the McLaren were going to do what it took to break that contract and get away from Honda and go in another direction. I was wondering at the time whether or not uh, Honda would care to stay in Formula One or if they would just kind of cut their losses and walk away. And and McLaren, they did have that uh, that option in their contract to, to break it at the time. And I think if I remember correctly, it was for a pretty big sum of money too. I can't remember if it was a hundred million dollars or a hundred billion pounds. Anyways, not pocket change, pounds, dollars, hundred million of them. It's a lot of money. Anyways, they they did take a big risk uh, pulling away from or breaking up uh, with uh, Honda and and going on with Renault. Seems to be uh, paying dividends now. It's been a a year or two since they split uh, with with Honda and slowly but surely they are making their way back up uh, the the grid uh, in comparison to the the, the Renault uh, works team. But hey, that's a completely different uh, topic to discuss uh, later on. But uh, it was it was really interesting that uh, when the whole uh, thing finally did uh, fall apart and um, McLaren decided to go with Renault and there was some talk maybe that uh, Honda might un- end up with Sauber and then that was going to, to be an option. And then uh, we have this whole swap with drivers and engines and everything going everywhere. <laughs> and we have uh, we have the Renault, wor- sorry, the, uh, the, the Red Bull um, uh, senior team, if you want to call them that, still with the Tag Heuer branded Renault engines. Then you have uh, Honda going to Toro Rosso. You have Renault equipping their own team their works team and of course and then uh, McLaren and then it was interesting okay at this point you go from uh, with McLaren a, a really historic successful team at least in the past has fallen on, on hard times you've had um, much success with them because I mean McLaren Honda you go back to the Senna Prost era I mean just the things that they did together was nothing short of uh, remarkable. And uh, some of those uh, McLaren cars from way back in the day, I remember them from uh, from when I was a kid. And they're still some of my favorite Formula One cars now. Go look them up if uh, if you don't if you're not old enough to have, uh, live through that era. Go Google it right now. The McLaren MP44, the MP46 absolutely gorgeous cars and if you can go back uh, if you've got f1 tv or just even youtube for highlights or whatever go back and watch some of those races i mean uh, they're just beautiful cars to, to to watch the racing was fun it uh, it was uh, quite the era anyways 
Getting back on topic here, obviously, uh, McLaren and Honda had to, had a, a lot of success in the past. That's gone now, and the only team they're left with is uh, is Toro Rosso. And I thought, well, is really Toro Rosso the sexy option for them? But they, they stuck it out, and uh, to their credit, uh, and I guess as well to the credit of uh, of uh, Red Bull, who rather sneakily somehow managed to get. Uh, a, uh, a possible replacement engine in their junior team, which is obviously Toro Rosso, while having the Renault engines in their works team or the the senior team, whatever you want to call the Red Bull racing team compared to Toro Rosso, whatever. We'll just call them Red Bull easier <laughs> that way anyways. But they were in that unique position that they were able to not only uh, evaluate what, uh, what they were getting in, in terms of uh, numbers from the Renault engine, but they were also basically try before you buy with the, with the Honda engine engine in the Toro Rosso because they're they're getting numbers from both power units uh, and uh, I mean I don't know how they pulled it off if it was just uh, more luck than anywhere else but it was uh, absolutely uh, astounding the way that it worked out but I mean just over a year ago around the time of the Canadian Grand Prix it was the long standing rumors and i guess the expected announcement that uh, that Red Bull was going to break away uh, from an, uh, Renault was, actually became a thing and then they decided to go with Honda and uh, you know honestly i've been impressed with the way that they started out the season because it, it became apparent pretty clear that even though uh, Red Bull is not racing McLaren in most weekends obviously this past weekend uh, uh, Max was the the class of the field, uh, but I mean, it became pretty apparent that even though they might not be racing Mercedes head to head each and every weekend, they are racing Ferrari. So that was the the, the benchmark for me, and that was the benchmark that was uh, set by Honda way back when. That saying that uh, basically this year or 2019, they want to make sure that um, that. The power that uh, they're supplying Red Bull is going to put them into a position that is basically about the same as where they were last year with uh, with Renault, and I think that's that's a good place. I mean, obviously, you want to be further ahead, but certainly you don't want to be taking a step or two back w- in making that switch. And and obviously, it's it's worked out pretty good. I mean, it's they've been like I say, they've been racing Ferrari the the entire season, so kind of gone from third in the pecking order to close to second, and uh, unfortunately. Unfortunately, uh, in terms of the Constructors' Championship, it's basically Max that's getting the lion's share of the points uh, for for Red Bull. But uh, it, I think it is finally, I think it's long coming, obviously, for Honda. And I think it's a, it's a really good time for them to, to win. Because when, when Max made the statement a couple of months ago, earlier this season, that they were expecting to be able to target wins halfway midway through the season i thought well okay sure you know it, it i don't know i mean it's not usually the kind of thing it's a, max really isn't kind of a braggadocious kind of guy i mean he, he tends to me or at least he, from my point of view he comes across as a uh fairly i think kind of like sober i think he kind of tells it like it is i don't think he he gets too braggadocious about things i don't think that he he tends to overstate it i think he's fairly matter of fact so i did take that uh, statement uh, that uh, that they were expecting to win uh, halfway through the season with with a pinch of salt i like hmm, that's interesting i'm going to wait and see but i'm not really expecting it so 
I was really kind of blown away. And I think that's, that's why it makes that win all that more special for them and for Honda is just because they, they felt that together, uh, in the work that they'd done. And there, there seems to be an all accounts, a lot more, uh, teamwork and a lot more cooperation between the two of them that the, that the chassis and the engine are more of an integrated, uh, together rather than chassis engine. Okay. Somehow we have to make the two fit together. There seems to be a lot of thoughts going together and building the car and building that engine so that they mesh together as uh, as flawlessly as uh, as possible and I think that for Honda like I say it can't come or couldn't have come soon enough and obviously for for Red Bull it's just a validation that the that the switch that they made was the right one because honestly I was getting a little bit kind of tired <laughs> of listening uh, to, to Christian Horner slag off Honda or sorry not Honda pardon me uh, nothing of the sort uh, Renault over the past couple of seasons and and that was uh, nothing new. I mean, even going back to the first year of the the, the turbo hybrid uh, V6 was in 2014. Uh, they were really lamenting and uh, chagrined about the fact that the, the the Renault engine just did not have as much power compared to say the Ferrari or the Mercedes, and it was uh, clearly um, not the 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 engine that uh, you wanted in the back of your car. I mean, still they were able to win races here and there, but I mean they they basically came off. Uh, that previous era of the normally aspirated engines where they were enormously successful winning lots of races with Sebastian Vettel and, uh, and Mark Weber and the likes and winning a bunch of world championships and the, the drivers and also in the constructors. So it, uh, it was a bit of a rude awakening for them and they've kind of been, I guess by their standards, maybe in the doldrums to a certain extent over the past uh, several years, uh, but uh, they, they've finally been able to turn it around, and uh, certainly they're going to be very, very ha- happy about that. But I thought it was uh, pretty cool when it came to after the race that uh, that it wasn't it wasn't Christian Horner, it wasn't one of the engineers or one of the mechanics. It was it was one it was a Honda guy. One of the that, that that went up onto the podium, and I think that really goes to show how important that the the the, the relationship is between Red Bull and Honda. And it was actually Honda technical director Toyoharu Tanabe that went up onto the podium to accept the accept the trophy uh, for for the constructors uh, after the race. And uh, it's kind of a cool story because he had to or Tanabe that is had to come back and explain why he was late to the podium because he said he had no idea what to do because it was Honda's first win in Formula. One since in 2006. That kind of blows me away. I mean, uh, that was uh, the, the first time that a Honda powered car uh, was uh, that won a Grand Prix since 2006, like I say. And that was uh, when Jensen Bunt, uh, Button won uh, a race for what was then a Honda Works team. So a very, very long time coming, you know, 13 years. I mean, for, for a company and uh, an engine manufacturer like a Honda, that uh, seems like, well, I mean, if it's been a long time for us, for, for Formula One fans to see that, that amount of time pass uh, since they're, they're last win can you imagine what it's been like for honda themselves so very very good to to see that in a bit of a a humorous uh, moment and uh, i I thought it was quite uh, maybe it's just me but i did say to my wife uh, while we're watching the race i said is it just me or does he look physically relieved that uh, that this has finally happened that after all this time all the drama and all the money that they've taken and sunk into this uh, engine program over the past uh, several years 
however long it's been, has finally paid off. And I'm sure if you ask uh, somebody, one of the big wigs at Honda, that it has uh, taken a lot longer. I think uh, a, a lot of them uh, obviously would have preferred, but also probably uh, a lot longer than they uh, expected as well. So very, very good to see. Anyways, I'm going to break a little bit uh, earlier than uh, than usual here, uh, just because um, I, I want to get into now the whole uh, discussion about uh, Max Verstappen and, and and Charles Leclerc and uh, the the whole um, you know the the whole stewards uh, decision and all that. So we're going to take a, a quick break here, and uh, we'll be back in just a one moment here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back. Well, as discussed, we are finally going to get into it maybe uh, a lot later than I did or anticipated. But anyways, let, let's talk about the move now that uh, that Max Verstappen made to uh, pass Charles Leclerc in the dying laps of the race, which uh, ultimately led to his first uh, victory uh, of, of the season in front of what was basically a home crowd. I know Austria is uh, quite a long ways from Holland. I'm Dutch Canadian. I've lived in Holland. I get it. I understand the geography. Point is, thousands of Dutch fans, including a number of my friends, were in attendance at the Red Bull Ring, and it was uh, very much like, uh, if not a home Grand Prix, almost a home Grand Prix for for Max Verstappen, and uh, there was certainly a lot of uh, emotion around there. But, anyways, the the, the point is that, um, and I've thought. Actually, I haven't really thought uh, too hard about it because it, it really only took me maybe uh, a couple of minutes, 10 minutes really to think about it and really come up uh, with, with a decision how I really uh, felt about it. And I and I really agree with Christian Horner, uh, the team principal of Red Bull, that uh, that that a penalty for Max Verstappen would have been harsh. And, and I'll tell you why, because um, Max had been uh, passing uh, cars at turn three all afternoon uh, as, he, as he worked his way up uh, through the field a couple of times, uh, you know, after pit stops and, and just during the normal course of racing. But the thing was that he'd already had a look a lap or two uh, previous uh, before he passed uh, Charles Leclerc. And uh, on that occasion, Charles played it nice. He defended well, and then actually, uh, you know, made that one uh, evasive blocking maneuver, uh, defensive maneuver to uh, prevent Max from sticking his nose up uh, the inside and getting that line into that very tight uh, right-hand corner. Anyways, fast forward a lap or two, we have almost the exact same thing. We're going up that long straightaway, that slight uh, dog leg to the left as you go through turn two. DRS is wide open. Max is right on the the, the you know his gearbox to nose. 
He's uh, right behind Charles Leclerc. This time going into that corner, Charles leaves the door open. And this is the thing, right, guys? Is that when it comes to Max Verstappen, you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. You leave the door open even a hair, he's going to, if, if he sees that opportunity, he's going to try it nine times out of ten. I mean, we saw that with uh, with Max and Lewis at, uh, at Monaco a month or so ago. That, you know, coming out of the tunnel into the chicane, uh, Lewis struggling with uh, with tires that are literally falling apart, even though he, see, he still had uh, the speed, the straight line speed going through the tunnel there. Max did see an opening, he went for it, they bumped, whatever. Uh, it's still ended up uh, no tears that day. Lewis goes on to win the race and uh, Max doesn't. Anyways, the thing is Max will always try and make that uh, that that pass if he can. And it doesn't matter where it is on the track or if it's a conventional spot to pass or not. Max will try it. Doesn't matter if it's on the inside of the corner, outside of the corner, he'll do what it takes to to, to get around. The thing is Charles left the door open. Max pulls in. He's got the line. They're going around the corner. He's got the full lock on as he goes through. And Charles, he goes a little bit wide. And as much as Max left his braking uh, late, and he did, and by the time his car starts to rotate through the corner, he's well past uh, the, the the apex. But the thing is, Charles went wide, and then he starts to come back across. Max clearly has the line going into the corner, and as much as Max is coming in late and pushing out wide because of that late braking, Charles is coming in late as well. He's on the outside. There was It was always going to happen that way. Fortunately, all they did was bang wheels. Charles gets bumped off. He goes in a little runoff area then he's back onto the track and then max is down the road disappearing and flying again and i I thought it was kind of humorous when you go back and listen to the race radio that uh that that uh, max is like well hey he pushed me he bumped me and then uh charles is uh you know he's saying exactly the same thing uh you know he's he's pushed me off and uh i mean you you can completely see why both drivers uh were were upset the thing is like i say i think it was an aggressive uh, maneuver it was an aggressive attempt by Max to get past, but you know what? I'm okay with it. At the end of the day, it wasn't dangerous. Sure, there was a, a little bit of bumping going on, but neither car was significantly damaged. And, you know, that's the thing. I mean, we, we saw Sebastian Vettel several weeks ago lose the Canadian Grand Prix by getting a time, five-second time penalty. It's a completely different situation. I get that. But the whole thing is... He lost that race basically on a technicality, and I think that if we were to see a situation uh, where uh, Max gets a a five-second penalty applied for that, for example, that's just going to send the wrong message. I mean, I think that guys right now are a little bit hesitant at times to pass just because they don't know what's going to be judged as, uh, you know, or possibly be penalized. And I think that's the wrong message to send. We want these guys to fight. We want these guys to to go at it. And that was the whole disappointing thing about the, 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 the Vettel and Hamilton situation was that they were in a class of their own. It was going to be either Vettel or Hamilton that was going to win that race because you had Charles Leclerc, who was in third place at the moment. He's about 15 seconds further back on the track. I mean, unless something happened to either Vettel or Hamilton, 
Leclerc wasn't going to win that win that race. It was it was always going to be Hamilton or sorry Hamilton or or, or Vettel. And um, I was hoping to see that it would be like a a a clean overtaking uh, pass on, on the track. I mean, we can get into that whole discussion again uh, at another time. Uh, you know, how about the the guy that crossed the finish line actually doesn't win the race? But hey, that's what was decided that time, and it was a different situation because it was the way that Vettel wiggled when he went into that uh, chicane, went across the grass, came back and was judged to have uh, re-entered the track or rejoined the track in an unsafe manner. So, you know, whatever. It is what it is. That controversy is sort of kind of, but not really uh, behind us. But this one, like I say, I mean, if you had penalized Max for that, I think that would have been a crime because it really, to me, would have sent, sends the wrong message, not only to the drivers, sends the wrong message to the teams, and most importantly, it sends the wrong message to us, the fans. We're the people that tune in. We're the ones spending the money. We're the ones that are investing our time and our emotions and all that. And I want to see a little bit of excitement. As long as it's not dangerous, as long as cars aren't getting damaged, as long as guys aren't getting hurt, I'm okay with it. I think uh, that that's... Uh, it was okay. It was tough. And the other thing is too, is I don't want these two guys walking on eggshells. Max Verstappen, exceptionally talented driver. Looks like he's got all the attributes to become a a future Formula One world champion. Charles Leclerc, early days yet. Obviously what he's done in his year and a half in Formula One last year with Self Alfa Romeo and uh, this year with uh, with uh, Ferrari, nothing short of impressive. I mean, he's got a long career in Formula One ahead of him. I mean, after only one year with Sauber, he's already driving for Ferrari. I mean, that in itself says something. Driving for a team like Ferrari, who traditionally have never given chances to, to young drivers. And Charles has been a little bit unlucky so far this year. And let's let's be blunt about it. Uh, we really would have expected him to win in Bahrain and he's uh, fallen, um, I don't want to say victim, but certainly he's coming on the wrong side of some team orders and just a little bit of bad luck on strategy and things like that. So it hasn't been easy, but I mean, he definitely has had his moments. And unfortunately, this past weekend, he led the race uh, for... Well, obviously, not a, a couple laps uh, shorter than what he would have done to, to to cross the finish line. But the point is, Max and Charles, both young guys, both in good teams, both with good cars, and you know, being about ten or so years younger than Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton, they're, they're the, the the future of Formula One. I mean, we could be watching these guys going at it for the next 10 years or so, maybe even longer. And do you want to set that precedent right now that, that, you know, unless there was some egregious thing, uh, you know, that Max plows into the side of, uh, of Charles and, and, ruptures his uh his radiator and he he's out of the race and he goes and wins the race that way of course you know that's way over the line it's dangerous it's unsportsmanlike all those things but hey just banging wheels a little bit going into a corner like that i think you gotta let it go and i think uh, ultimately it is good for the sport even though that michael massey who is the uh <laughs> the, the the steward uh, says that um, it the, the decision is um, what they what he said was not made in the benefit of uh, of Formula One. But hey, you know that's the the, the view of the stewards. They've got uh, you know a difficult job to do. Um, but you know certainly that's uh, not really something um, that uh, that I agree with. I, I think. Uh, even though it wasn't made for the the, the best interest of Formula One, you got to do 
you got to work within the framework that you have for rules and stuff like that. Ultimately, you got to make the right decision in in the structure that you work within. And if that turns out to be right for Formula One, that's right for Formula One. If it's not right for Formula One, it's not. And we've seen examples uh, of both. The, uh, the the decision, which was the correct one according to the rules, was Vettel getting penalized in, uh, in Canada. Extremely unpopular decision. You know, I didn't really see the, the a big deal uh, with it. I mean, I understand the whole thing, the way that he went off of the track, and the I, I see the reasoning behind it. But again, uh, to me, it seemed like a, a really uh, how do you want to say it? Uh, not the greatest way uh, to like apply a penalty to uh, you know really ultimately decide the outcome of a Formula One race. In in this decision or th- this case with uh, Max Verstappen and and uh, and uh, Charles Leclerc, it uh, I think was uh, it was right, but they didn't see the, the the reason to do so. I mean, like I was saying, I think it was fifty fifty. As much as Max went wide, I think is uh, the same that Charles came back in and cut across and banged into Max. You know, you, you can go either way, and. And I think it was the correct uh, dis- decision to, to to make, but you know, sort of talking about that as well, as well you know, uh, Charles Leclerc, he actually said that that uh, the the move that Max made was not the way uh, you overtake, and uh, well, you know, <laughs> it. I mean, everybody's entitled to their to their position. I mean, Charles, of course, is going to be extremely biased because uh, he was in the lead, obviously fighting for the win. And uh, he said that uh, at the end, he said that Red Bull was very quick, very good at keeping the tires better than us. Um, he said, "I'd have no qualms if I feel that uh, the overtake was done rightly. I don't think the second uh, uh, the second one was." So uh, he said, goes on to say, "I believe that anyway that the end will probably have been the same, but it's just not the way you overtake." I think. Anyhow, I mean that's uh, that's Charles' opinion, and I think that uh, depending which side of the equation you're on, you might have a, a bit of a different take. But like I say, I, I want to see um, I, I want to see more action in Formula One, and of course, I'm going to start repeating myself here. As long as it's safe, and uh, I, I don't have any uh, issues with it, safe and sportsmanlike. As long as it's a fair move, I, I think there's got to be a, a little bit of leeway, a little bit of uh, common sense, and I think uh, that uh, Max is. Um, uh, his pass on John Charles certainly falls within that. Uh, Ferrari did uh, decide, after all, that they won't appeal what they call the the wrong Verstappen uh, verdict, and uh, I don't see what the the, the point was going to be. Uh, even though, uh, like I say, it was a completely different uh, situation to, to Sebastian Vettel. They've been through the process uh, right now, and th- there was enough, I think, gray area in the situation that Vettel found himself in in Canada that uh, that that it was worth trying to appeal it at that at that point to the different avenues that they had either to the the, the stewards or afterwards uh, to the FIA but uh, this one like I say it was more clear cut as a 50-50 kind of thing between uh, Leclerc and Verstappen and I think that uh, they, they've done the right thing and just uh, basically came out and said we're not going to appeal but we think the decision was wrong okay fair enough move forward um, but it did take not like quite some time for them to uh, to, to come out uh, with uh, a decision in fact it was just before eight o'clock in the evening local time, which was three hours after the race, uh, when the stewards finally uh, made the announcement that the, there was uh, there was uh, there, there was no further action was going to be uh, taken against uh, Max, and he was going to retain the, um, the, uh, the 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 victory, and that that was uh, basically of what uh, they uh, called various influencing 
factors. So <laughs> take that all into uh, into uh, into account. And uh, basically, one of the things was uh, that they didn't get into the stewards hearing until 6 p.m. Uh, because of uh, media commitments and uh, press conferences and things like that. And then uh, the actual hearing itself, uh, with all the other the parties involved, took about an hour. And then, of course, they had to uh, uh, deliberate, look at uh, different uh, precedents at uh, other uh, cases, and then uh, you know uh, discuss the incident. Uh, between themselves before they actually write the whole thing up. So you can understand why it would uh, take some time. And I guess, uh, you know, if you're, you're, you're Max Verstappen, if you're sort of sitting there, you're probably just going to have to think, well, you know, I, I've done what I can uh, at the end of the day. Uh, I, I came home first, and uh, now if uh, the, the stewards decide that I'm not going to keep this win, well, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's up to them. Anyways, uh, we, we've talked enough about that. Uh, I'm going to take one quick final break here, and there are a number of smaller uh, topics that I want to touch on as we start to wind down the show, and we'll do that after we take this very, very short break. So don't go away. All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1, and we're going to start closing the show down now uh, with news that Andreas Seidel, the McLaren team boss, said that uh, the Formula One's under-fire rulebook is what he calls what the teams and drivers have asked for. And, well, I mean, he's the new boy on the block here, but why not get stuck in uh, right away? So anyways, uh, he's kind of just uh, basically been weighing in on some of the uh, the recent rash of penalty uh, decisions, which included uh, Max Verstappen's uh, move on uh, Charles Leclerc, and then also um, going back to the Vettel incident and some other ones. And... Uh, <clears throat> There are a lot of people in Formula One uh, that uh, that think that the sport would be a lot better off if they get rid of a lot of different rules and regulations and would give the drivers to to um, more opportunity, more freedom, if you will, to, to battle more, fight each other on the track. And I'm one of those people. Like I say, I want to see more action. I mean, it, it's it's one thing. Um, if there, there, there's a flaw in the design of the cars that the cars just aren't close, you know, aren't, aren't physically able to get closer to one another because of the, the, the disturbance that's given off by the aerodynamics of the car. And if you get uh, too close, you know, your tires uh, start to degrade and it's just difficult to get close as it is to try and make a, a passing maneuver. I'm not a big fan of the whole DRS thing, even though I understand what it does and it does add something to the race, even though it's maybe a little bit more uh, artificial or, I don't know, aided overtaking. I mean, that's, that's a bit of a different uh, discussion, but I think that they should do what they can to encourage more of that. I mean, it, it's one thing, like I say, that it's difficult for the cars to pass because of the way that they're built on, on one hand, but on the other hand, if, um, guys are afraid or maybe not afraid, but wary to pass, uh, that, uh, because of, uh, they, they, you know, how they might be sanctioned or penalized, uh, because they're judged to have gone over the line or crossed the line into, uh, into foul territory. I think that's uh, completely different. I, I, I think that, um, if, you know, the, the guy in the car behind the steering wheel is overanalyzing things on the track as to, well, you know, am I going to be breaching section 24, subsection B, paragraph 2 of the, the sporting regulation? Is that really where you want to get to Formula One to be? Do you want it really that sanitized? 
I mean, let, let's think about it. I mean, maybe I'm looking at more of a, a North American point of view when it comes to sports, but we love the home run. We love the slam dunk. We love the long bomb or the Hail Mary that wins the, the, the game with no time left on the clock in the fourth quarter. We love the big plays like that. I'm, I'm sure it's the same for sports fans all around the world. And I, I don't want to see... Formula One get to the point, and perhaps it's already there where it's over sanitized, where it's uh, where, where it becomes too managed, and, and and people are just too cautious as to um, you know what they're planning to do, and they they ease off of the gas, or they're just and and sit there. I mean, the other thing was, um, you know, you go back even looking at uh, at, at Monaco. I mean. Uh, Lewis was struggling with those tires that he had and his team screwed up the strategy. They put him on the wrong tires compared to all the other cars behind him. And it was a brilliant drive, uh, what what he did uh, to to bring that car home. But the thing was, he was was fighting for his life, basically, because he had Max Verstappen all over the back of him. But the thing was, I mean, it was a bit of an artificial battle. It was a bit of a phony battle because Max got involved in that uh, situation with Valtteri Bottas in the pit lane when uh, he was judged to have been uh, released uh, unsafely from his pit stop, which he was because um, Bottas was pushed into the uh, into the Armco barrier on the side of the pits there, and, and Max was penalized five seconds for it. I mean, fair enough. Uh, it was a safety thing. And the thing was, I mean, the only way that uh, that was going to turn out any different was that uh, they had to... Uh, um, uh, finish, uh, well, Max would have to stay uh, th- uh, five seconds ahead of the, the car behind him in third, or, you know, he'd have to get in front of Lewis Hamilton and uh, somehow make make up five seconds uh, on him to, uh, to, to, to win the race. But, you know... <laughs> Again, that's that's not the way that uh, that, that we want to see things uh, happen in Formula One. You know, we we want to see guys fighting for it, and um, and again, the same thing. I know that uh, with the, the the Vettel situation in Canada, that didn't come down till uh, well a, a little bit later in the race. But I mean, it was still a thing that I mean, all Lewis had to do was make sure that he stayed within five seconds of uh, of, of Sebastian Vettel. But I mean, the thing is, you know, we, we don't want to, to get to the point where these guys guys are, are get being too what what I think is too easily penalized in, in the first place so uh, it's e- interesting though when uh, when you see uh, somebody new somebody important like in, in the role of a team principal like Andreas Seidel come in and say something like that I mean it's a fairly blunt and uh, and to the point uh, matter of fact statement that okay sure there's a lot of people complaining about the, the the rules but it's what the teams and the drivers have asked for and I still think it's kind of funny because I, I mean even just a year or two ago there uh, there was a, a lot of talk that you know oh well the stewards are going to be more lenient they're going to let them race more and things like that and it seems to have gotten away from that uh, fairly fairly quickly so good for Seidel for speaking up uh, I'm glad to see uh, people uh, doing so and uh, hopefully some concrete change will come from it I mean there, there's still a lot at stake not just from the the, the rule book um, from from this point of view but uh, from everything I mean the, uh, the the rules for 2021 have still not been uh, uh um, you know, finalized, and we've talked about a lot over the past, uh, you know, several shows, past several weeks. That that's something that needs to be sorted out, and there, there's a lot at stake at Formula One, and there's still so much potential. And I think that's what drives a lot of us crazy is that even though there are issues with Formula One, uh, it's solvable. I mean, I, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a naive statement uh, from from me, but to me, 
it should be able to be solved. And there's still a lot of uh, potential that, uh, that, uh, that they have in the sport and what they can do with the sport. And I think that's a big reason why Liberty Media came in. I don't think it was just because they were like, well, hey, you know, we've got nothing better to do. Let's go waste, you know, a couple billion dollars to buy the rights uh, to, to Formula One and run this show. No, they, they obviously came in because they feel that there's something here and there's something worth doing. And uh, I just hope that uh, at some point that uh, that common sense and, uh, and logic will prevail and we can get uh, some, you know, proper rules uh, and, uh, and and consensus among uh, all this, uh, the stakeholders. And we can see Formula One manifest into what I think a lot of us want it to be. And of course, what that wants to be might be, well, that's a bit a big discussion. <laughs> so let's just leave it there. Because like I say, we are uh, running out of time. Maybe that's a good one to, to dive into over the summer break in a couple of weeks when uh, there, there's no action on the track. And uh, we, we've got time to spare and we can uh, dive into a, a big issue like that. Anyways, let's talk about uh, Pierre Gasly now. And uh, Max Verstappen's a teammate, uh, as I was saying, he uh, did finish the race in uh, what was it uh, seventh position now. And well, I mean, that's a long way back. And considering, you know, you're also um, a lap down on your, your teammate, that's a, a big, big gap. And I, I mean, if you look now uh, also at what, what the, the, the standings are in the, in the driver's championship, I mean, it's, it's, it's miles different. I mean, I know Gasly's still young. I know it's his first year with Red Bull, but I mean, he's been in the system. He was with, it was with Toro Rosso last year and, you know... It's going to take time, but uh, I would have expected that uh, things may have started to, to to happen for him by now. I mean, he's had quite a few races in the team, in the senior team with Red Bull. I mean, he's not Toro Rosso anymore. But if you look at the uh, the, the the World Championship now, you have Lewis Hamilton on top, 197 points. Uh, he's just 31 points ahead of his teammate uh, Val- Valtteri Bottas. Max, with the uh, the, the win in uh, in Austria this past weekend, has now uh, passed Sebastian Vettel uh, for third position in uh, in the World Championship. Max has got 126 points, so he's only three points ahead of Seb in the in the const- sorry the drivers' championship. Then you got Charles Leclerc in in fifth position with 105, and then you got Gasly. So I mean, the top six drivers are all Red Bull, McLaren, sorry, Mercedes, and Ferrari drivers, and that's obviously what you would uh, expect. But the, the the gap between Pierre Gasly in uh, sixth position with 43 points. That's a long way back. And I mean, he's only 13 points ahead of Carlos Sainz. I mean, Carlos Sainz, seventh point in the uh, in the Drivers' Championship with 30 points. Lando Norris uh, with, uh, with 22, which is good enough for eighth. I mean, outstanding for both of them. I mean, like we were talking about at the top of the show, McLaren are doing good things. And um, I'm, I'm sure that Carlos and Lando and everyone at uh, McLaren are extremely encouraged and, uh, and happy at the moment with where they are right now. But certainly... Pierre Gasly needs to get to get a move on and and start doing something, and uh, well, even the Christian Horner team principal at uh, Red Bull said, and you know, quite uh, candid about it, said uh, Gasly needs a mental control alt delete reset in a bid to save his uh, Formula One season. And it has been difficult to start to the year for him. And, uh, you know, Red Bull is uh, uh, committed to, to staying with him now. And uh, he, well, I mean, there is some speculation that he could actually be replaced by Danny Kvyat for 2020. And, <laughs> I mean, that would be kind of interesting. I mean, uh, uh, Kvyat going back to Red Bull uh, after, you know, being there a couple of years ago and then having all sorts of a drama going on and then getting booted 
booted out of uh, Red Bull, back down to Toro Rosso, being uh, replaced by Max Verstappen, sticking with Red Bull for a couple of years, then ending up not having to drive in Formula One, and then being a, I think it was a simulator driver for Ferrari last year. Anyways, then he's back into Formula One this year again with Toro Rosso because they don't have enough young drivers with enough super points to to, uh, to, to basically put a guy in the car to a position that you know he could replace the guy that he took his seat at Red Bull. And then could eventually, and I know this is getting confusing and convoluted now, but anyways, long story short, if Gasly keeps going the way that he's going and uh, and underperforming, Kvyat could find himself back at Toro Rosso after uh, you know two, three years, whatever it is, three years, I guess it is now. Besides Max Verstappen, <laughs> and I don't think any of us could have saw that one coming, uh, you know, even a couple of months ago. So, I mean, obviously a lot of things have to to, to happen, but the thing is, uh, you know, e- even Christian Horner goes on to say that uh, that everybody at Red Bull knows what Pierre is uh, capable of, and that uh, somehow he has to do a mental reset in, in his head and start over because he's quick. And then, you know, <laughs> but the thing is, he's teammates to, to to Max Verstappen, and and the level that Max is uh, driving. At and performing at week in week out, it's got to be even at a subconscious level has to be intimidating for a guy, and maybe he's getting under into Pierre's head after you know maybe more than than he realizes. So who knows how that one's going to turn out, but uh, I mean, like I say, I mean to see uh, a situation where maybe uh, uh, you know Pierre Gasly might not be at Red Bull next year and could be replaced by uh, Pierre, uh, sorry, Danny Kvyat. It's just like, well, Formula One can be a, a bit of a funny sport at times, but that that certainly would be one none of us uh, saw coming. Anyways, uh, let's move on now as we st- as the clock starts to kick, uh, tick away. And uh, Danny Ricardo says that the current Renault form doesn't add up in his own words. Uh, well, the thing is, I mean, I know that they they keep saying all these things about uh, that uh, they they've made improvements here and there. It just isn't translating into what's uh, what's happening on the uh, on the on the track. And you know, this uh, this past weekend again in in Austria, neither Ricardo or his teammate uh, Nico Hulkenberg were able to um, uh, to 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 bring home any points. And it's disappointing. I mean, you look now at uh, just uh, the the difference uh, between what where Renault is and uh, and where McLaren, their customer team is. There's quite a big gap. And I was looking at some numbers just a couple of days ago here as to uh, what uh, you know what some of the big budgets are in Formula One. And I think that uh, Mercedes and uh, and and Ferrari, they're obviously the big spenders. And this was all to do with the uh, the proposed budget cap for for 2021 and uh, and beyond. And I think at the moment, uh, Ferrari and Mercedes, they're both spending about, I think it was about 400 million pounds a year, which is basically double of what, uh, what, uh, what, what, what Renault are spending. I think their budget was like 190 million. I think McLaren was uh, just a hair over uh, 200, something 220. And Red Bull was somewhere between that and the, you know, the big spenders there. So you know, I mean, they are spending a, a lot of money, and you would think that uh, you know, even uh, even though they're not spending out four hundred million, like say the top two teams are, uh, Ferrari and McLaren. Sorry, Ferrari and uh, Mercedes. That even though they're they're pretty close to McLaren, that there is uh, quite a bit of, uh, of a difference. I mean, let's go back uh, to to last week and Lando Norris in sixth, Pierre Carlos Sainz sorry in in eighth, 
and you go down, it was 12th and 13th uh, position for Danny Ricardo and, uh, and, and Nico Hulkenberg. And I mean, that's uh, just, uh, that, that's a huge gap. And I mean, then you take a look now how that translates in the, uh, in the constructors championships. And of course, the more money you're going to spend, the better car you're going to have and all that. And um, I mean, it's, it, it's still, a night and day. I mean, Mercedes, 363 points, top of the constructors, Ferrari, 228, Red Bull, 169, McLaren, 52 points in the constructors championship. I mean, that's a, a vast improvement in what they've had the, uh, the, the past couple of years. And I mean, they're 20 points ahead of Renault who are currently in the, in fifth position in, uh, in the constructors with the, uh, with 32. So wh- whatever they're doing just isn't working. And, and, and Ricardo obviously says that, uh, that, uh, that, you know, it, it doesn't add up to what they're doing. He says that he had no real answers to why they, they struggled all weekend in, 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 in Austria. And he just said, uh, so he just didn't feel something was quite right, uh, which is, uh, uh, which is a bit of a mystery because they thought that they were going to find something and it, and it, and they couldn't figure out what it was. And it just seems like it's taking longer to, to, to come together. I think that, that obviously we, we, would expect that uh, that Renault would be a little bit further up the running order than than they are right now, or or maybe not. Maybe that's based on the money that they're that they're spending and have spent over the past several years since they came back into Formula One. Maybe this is as good as they're going to get. But I think it is interesting right now uh, when you when you go back uh, say to the end of last year, Renault fourth in the constructors' championship behind Red Bull, uh, Ferrari, and obviously uh, Mercedes winning it last year, and now they've they've dropped a spot. Of course, we're not even halfway through the season, so there's a, a long way to go. But it's interesting if you just kind of compare them to the the, the next nearest team that the, in the constructors, which is McLaren. McLaren, like I say, seem to be slowly but surely and incrementally each and every race are steadily getting better, whereas Renault still seem to be struggling uh, a little bit. So, you know, there's there's that to consider. And just talking again about uh, uh, McLaren again a little bit uh, before we go, there was a discussion uh, this year that, uh, or just uh, the other day, that uh, uh, team boss uh, Andreas Seidel said that uh, Fernando Alonso and Stoffel van Dorn deserve a lot of credit for helping uh, McLaren develop a, a much better car this year. And, uh, you know, they went through some rough times, uh, Fernando and, and, and Stoffel did. I mean, go back to Bahrain a couple of years ago. You had uh, van Dorn uh, debuting in Formula One. Uh, he was a reserve driver that year, and that was uh, when, uh, when Fernando had that big crash in. Uh, in uh in Bahrain and to miss or sorry in Austria sorry in Australia I'm getting all my country's big stuff here show's getting been on for a while it's getting late anyways Fernando had that horrible crash in Australia wasn't fit to race in uh, Bahrain for the second race of the year Van Dorn comes in in his debut as a reserve driver gets a P10 gets a single point you know that was a great story at the time and then you go uh, when Van Dorn is a driver he there was uh, was it next year or the year after in the, the the couple of seasons he was there there was he didn't even get into the car like it just it was uh, it was a complete waste and then uh, Fernando uh, retiring but anyway it, it is good to see that even though when they were there they and, and they didn't enjoy very much success, that the the, the work and the contri- uh, contributions that they've made are being uh, recognized uh, by, uh, by by McLaren. And uh, who knows? It will be interesting to see if uh, if Fernando does come back to Formula One at some point. Um, and and if he does with uh, wh- whether or not it'll be with uh, McLaren and uh, 
well, I guess it really comes down to how, how Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris do. And I mean, certainly now that they've got a bit of a more reliable and a more competitive car uh, underneath them that uh, each and every weekend, uh, you know, they're scoring points, you know, would they want to disrupt that? So who knows? Different discussion for a different uh, day. And then finally, as we, uh, we we wrap it up here, there was news that uh, Silverstone is concerned that uh, Formula One's uh, discussion and hopes to uh, stage a race in London uh, might uh, somehow affect them. They, of course, exercised their uh, break clause uh, with Formula One uh, last year. Uh, they did have a, a, a contract that ran up to like 2026 or something like that, but just the, uh, the increase in the hosting fees and everything like that was just making it less and less uh, economically viable despite the fact that, uh, you know, we have Lewis mania and uh, the, the British Grand Prix at Silverstone has been extremely well, well attended historically, especially in the past couple of years that, uh, that despite these good numbers and, and, and the popularity, uh, just the, the, the cost to host it, uh, was just not, uh, uh, you know, as appealing or desirable for them as it was putting them in a bit, a bit of a tough spot. So they decided to, uh, to, to break that clause. And so this is the last year of their current deal. But anyways, um, Formula One, of course, under Liberty Media are, are looking at all sorts of different uh, opportunities and places to go. We're going back to Holland next year at Zandvoort. First time since I think it was the 80s. We'll have a Dutch Grand Prix going to Vietnam next year for for the very first time. I mean, they're willing and they're, they're uh, you know, they're, they're open to exploring new ideas. And a race in London would be cool. And... I guess it really comes down to where. I mean, there's, uh, you know, the uh, the actual location hasn't been determined. Uh, uh, F1 Sporting Director Ross Braun said that uh, it's not going to be in the center of Lo- London, but what he calls Greater London. And Greater London, even by my knowledge, you know, several thousand miles away, I know it's a pretty damn big place. So who knows which part of the city uh, that it it may actually uh, take place in. But anyways, uh, they're they're worrying that uh, perhaps uh, that uh, that there might be uh, a race in London, which possibly could be the final race of 2019, 2020. Oh, sorry, which is that will be for for uh, for Formula E. Got to get my notes mixed up here, but anyways, um, you know there there is you know the the prospect that uh, that there will be a race in East London, maybe in the Docklands uh, somewhere, and they're just concerned that uh, perhaps it uh, may affect uh, their uh, position as they renegotiate renegotiate uh, the the British Grand Prix for after uh, 2019. And you know, like, like I say, I mean, I'm open to the idea of uh, different races and different places and and tracks that we've never been to before, but. I like a miss or a mix. Uh, as much as I like to see these new tracks, I hate to see the historic ones. You know, I, I can't think of like a Formula One without an Italian Grand Prix of Monza. Certainly, Spa Francorchamps is up there. I like Suzuka in Japan. That for me, that that's always been a, a track that I like. Not a huge fan of Monaco, but I understand the spectacle. So Formula One needs to go there. British Grand Prix at Silverstone is another one that's a, a must on my list. Canadian Grand Prix because hey, I'm Canadian. I like Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Like to see it there. But anyways, I mean there there are other places. One track they can dump is. Hockenheim don't like the new Hockenheim but hey that's a a different story 
And uh, I don't know. I, I like the idea that they are open to uh, discussing uh, having uh, multiple races in the same countries. I know that they talked about uh, perhaps uh, you know having a, a second race in China, which uh, makes a, a, a lot of sense. Uh, you know, there's been talk obviously about uh, a Grand Prix in Miami, although that seems to be on ice uh, because uh, they're just uh, having too many problems at the, the the local level. I mean, New York was another one that was uh, thrown out there. I think even Vegas was mentioned. I mean, uh, you know the uh, uh, you know, Circuit of Americas in Austin, Texas. That's where the U.S. Grand Prix has been uh, for the last uh, number of years. So, I mean, there are countries that are able to host a multiple Grand Prix. They have the facilities or areas where they can host them. And uh, I guess uh, all we can say is uh, really watch this space. So we'll we'll see what happens with Silverstone and whether or not they come back after 2019. And we'll also see whether or not we could see another race within uh, the U.K. So I guess some uh, cool things uh, to look out for and see how those turn out in the very end. Anyways, that's it. My throat is dry. I need a drink. I've gone on for over an hour here with uh, basically without a, a <laughs> breath of air and uh, a little bit of H2O. So anyways, I'm going to wrap it up there. Anyways, so that's it, guys. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to the show. Uh, if you want to get in touch, if you have any comments or questions, do so on email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com, or you can tweet me at scuderiaf1pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the weekend we have off, and we'll look forward to the British Grand Prix coming up at Silverstone next weekend. And all the races are going to come fast and thick over the next couple of weeks. And then before you know it, we'll be into the summer break. But anyways, plenty of action to come before then. Anyways, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. That's a wrap. I'll talk to you guys again this time next week. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.